Shalom, everybody. I'm Bill Cloud, and I want to welcome you to our Torah Tidbits, where we are going to highlight different components of the weekly Torah portions. This week, we're going to be dealing with a Torah portion called Shemot. That's Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, all the way over to chapter 6, verse 1. And our theme today is going to be man's agenda versus God's purpose. As I said, our Torah tidbit is going to come from the book called, in Hebrew, Shemot, which literally means names. This second book of Moses was originally called the book of going out of Egypt. If I were going to say that in Hebrew, it would be Sefer Yetziah Mitzrayim. Of course, most of us know the second book of Moses as the book called Exodus. And Exodus comes from a Greek term that means to depart or literally a departure because obviously that's really the highlight of the book of Exodus, which by the way is a natural continuation of the book of Genesis or in Hebrew, Breshit. The book of Genesis of course describes the lives of the patriarchs, the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the common thread between the two is Jacob because it tells us in verse 5 of Exodus chapter 1 that Jacob and all the souls that came from his loins went down to Egypt. Of course, that was 70 souls that came from his loins. But if you add in the in-laws, the sons and daughters, the grandchildren that are not mentioned, plus the servants that I'm, I'm sure went with them, you probably had something in the hundreds of people going down from Canaan to Egypt. And after living there for some time, of course, they all begin to die. In fact, verse 6 of chapter 1 says that Joseph died, all of his brethren died, and all that generation, which kind of sets the stage for the things that we're going to highlight. But in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. And so here we have a group of people that go from 70, maybe hundreds, to tens, maybe hundreds of thousands because they multiplied. But I also want to suggest to you that multiplying implies spreading out because we see the land was filled with them. And prior to this, it was just that they lived in the territory called Goshen. But it would seem in time as they prospered, as they multiplied, that they spread out. They were to be found everywhere in Egypt, including, some traditions say, the Egyptian territories. So in multiplying and in spreading out, that suggests, at least as far as I'm concerned, that they begin to mix, they begin to mingle, and they begin to assimilate into Egyptian culture. In fact, tradition says that after Joseph died, a very large number of Israelites begin to forget the beliefs and the practices of their fathers. The golden calf incident in the wilderness later on really attests to that fact. In fact, Joshua told them, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. And so look there, he says that they serve these gods in Egypt. And he says, serve the Lord. And that's found in Joshua chapter 24 
verse 14. Now later on when they were in Babylonian captivity through the prophet Ezekiel, God said to them, cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But he says, they rebelled against me and they were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things and their, that their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Now, God says that in Ezekiel 20, and when he said that, they were in Babylonian captivity. The point is that when Israel was still in Egypt, they had already begun to assimilate into Egyptian culture. And so they followed the pattern of being first set apart. And because they were set apart, they were blessed. But in time, they grew accustomed to the blessing. And they began to relax their standards. And they allowed these small spiritual pollutants to creep in at first until it grew larger and bigger. And they eventually assimilated until the only thing that could bring them to their senses was oppression and bondage. In fact, Jewish tradition says that before the bondage that many of them had reverted to pagan Semitic practices. The tradition says that many of them adopted the motto that says, let us be Egyptian in all things. Now, according to this same tradition, supposedly the only tribe to remain true to the covenant was the tribe of Levi, or we would say Levi. And why is that of interest? Well, I think it's obvious because Levi was the tribe that Moses and Aaron were from. But all of this is to say, because of their assimilation into Egyptian culture, consequently, God allowed things to change for them. And that's really what we're going to highlight in this tour tidbit here, the change that occurred. And it says in Exodus 1 verse 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. I want you to underscore that word in your, your mind. Let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. That's in Exodus 1, beginning verse 8, all the way over to verse 10. Now, it says that he didn't know Joseph. And it's not saying that he didn't know who he was. It's saying that he disregarded and ignored Joseph's enormous contributions to the land of Egypt. This Pharaoh considered that what Joseph had done was outdated and that it no longer mattered he began to find fault with Joseph and his people. They were to blame for all the country's woes and all the country's ills. And so he tried to put distance between the past and what he was doing because he was changing policies. And his change in policy was really to characterize Israel as a growing danger to Egypt and to its lifestyle. Because to him and to his people, it seemed that Egypt was full of Israelites. And so Israel's growth and their prospering was a frightening prospect for this Pharaoh and for those who aligned themselves with them. Now, here's his problem. He didn't want them to grow any larger, but they were too useful to the economy. And 
so he couldn't kick them out. So he had to restrain them, but he had to use them. And so in order to accomplish this, he had to be very shrewd in how he approached his problem, which now leads us to this picture. And that is found in the word Pharaoh itself, spelled in Hebrew, because Pharaoh hints at an evil mouth. Here's what I mean. If you look at the two outer letters, which are pay and hey, they spell the word in Hebrew, pay or mouth. But if you look at the two center letters, resh and ein, or the heart of this word, that spells the word ra or evil, because that is what was in his heart. In fact, Pharaoh would wear a crown that on this front and center of that crown was a serpent. Because you see, that's how the serpent works. He speaks these incredible things, but his heart is to destroy God's people. In fact, Pharaoh's policies ultimately were designed to destroy Israel because that's the adversary's objective. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, according to John chapter 10. And so here's how Pharaoh began to go about this shrewdly. He says, therefore, they set taskmasters. And that term is sari misim. They set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. Now, I wanted to read this because in this particular verse, when it says taskmasters, the phrase sari misim is the only time it's used to describe the taskmasters. Everywhere else we see the word taskmaster, it's a different phrase. I'm going to suggest to you that a better rendering would be tax masters. In fact, there are Jewish commentaries that say that this initial policy was in the form of a labor tax. And so these task masters, or if you'll allow me, tax masters, were the first step in Pharaoh's plan to bring Israel into bondage. And of course, from there, he would go on to attempt to make their lives bitter with hard labor, He would seek to destroy their male children, first through the Hebrew midwives. He he wanted them to perform an abortion. That's what it was. But finally, of course, we see that Pharaoh goes in and he takes the Hebrew males from their mothers and tosses them into the river. Of course, once again, his objective is to destroy Israel. But remember, incrementally, to steal, to kill, and then destroy, because he doesn't want them to leave they're too valuable. He doesn't want them to go up out of the land because as far as his economy and what he wanted to do, they were too important to let go. So then, to steal, to kill, and destroy. That was Pharaoh's agenda. But what was God's purpose in all of this? And to understand that, let's look at something Paul told us. Now these things happened to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages has come. And that's found, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. And so what I want to point out here is that this portion establishes a pattern that we should be aware of, and especially if we believe we're living in the end days, or as Paul put it, those upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And that concept that we're wanting to discuss, it it demonstrates a truth for all time. And that is, God's purposes always overrule the agenda of a man. 
Pharaoh pursues his agenda, but in the end we see that Pharaoh's policies and everything he intended to do actually ends up serving God's purposes. Pharaoh wanted to keep Israel in Egypt, but it's actually his policies. They're the very thing that led to Israel leaving the land. And to understand that better, I want to look at something that is recorded for us in the book of Acts. But as the time of the promise drew near, it says, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. Of course, he's referring back to what we read from Exodus 1. And this king dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. Of course, the one saying this is Stephen just before he is martyred. But here's why we brought it out. What Stephen tells us is the reason that this king, this pharaoh, came to power. It was because the time of the promise that God had made to Abraham was at hand. And what was that promise? It was the promise of redemption. In other words, at the same time that Pharaoh is trying to destroy all the Hebrew males, the very deliverer that God ordained is being raised up in his own household. In fact, you know the story of how Moses was put in the basket and and Pharaoh's daughter finds him. Moses' mother is the one who gets to raise her child and be paid by Pharaoh's daughter. And all of this is happening with the understanding that Israel had been living in Egypt so long that Egypt, at some point, began to live in them. And because the time of redemption was at hand, that's why God allowed this new king to come to power. Because consider this, if things had proceeded as they had always been, if Israel had continued to prosper and had not been oppressed, then Israel would have remained in Egypt they would have assimilated into Egyptian culture and society so deeply that they would have disappeared as a nation. They would have ceased to be. And this could not be because God had made a promise unto Abraham. And so it is today. In our day and time, God allows oppressive rules and rulers to separate his people from the nations that they might not die as a people but would be provoked to come forth as a holy nation, a set-apart people. In fact, in the midst of all of the oppression, God is able to raise up the one or the people that he will use to deliver his people. And so it's interesting as we look back on what happened long ago to compare it to what's going on today. In fact, I want you to notice some of the parallels compared with our situation today. Israel was invited into the country, that is Egypt. They served the country of Egypt. In fact, they saved the country of Egypt. Yet those of Joseph were considered to be the enemy of the country of Egypt. Today, those who built and served this country are oftentimes made to be the enemy even while those who wish to destroy the country are invited in with open arms. Remember, God allows these rules and rulers a space of time to carry out their agenda, but only to find out 
that they have been perhaps ignorantly, certainly unwittingly, serving His purpose. And that purpose includes bringing His people to the realization that not only have they been living in Egypt, but they have allowed Egypt to live in them. And that if they come to that realization, to also understand that they are living in the time of redemption. And so God allows certain things to happen. Here's how Yeshua put it in the Gospel of Luke when he was talking about the time of redemption. He said this, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of the things that which shall come upon the earth. Which, by the way, that sounds like a lot of things that are going on right now. And then he goes on and he says, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then he goes on and he says that they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And he said all that to make this point. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Luke chapter 21. So what he just told us is that all of those awful sounding things are happening because the time of redemption is at hand. And so I'll leave you with this thought. We may be making plans. We may have our own agendas, and others may have their agendas as well. But we all must eventually submit to His plan, His will, and His purpose. Man's agenda as opposed to God's purpose. That's this week's Torah Tidbit. Thanks for joining us. Shalom. Like what you're hearing? Become a Bill Cloud Premium Partner to watch or listen to hundreds of hours of teachings and resources on demand. Go to BillCloud.com slash subscribe to start watching today.